We're super excited to be interviewing Melissa McGlency today. She's a comedian, writer and filmmaker and is a company member of Melbourne-based improvised comedy troupe Sooth Players, um, completely improvised Shakespeare and completely improvised Potter. And today we're going to be talking about her one-woman political satire, The Briefing, which is going to be on at the Melbourne Fringe Festival, which is super exciting, 19th to 24th September at Universal Restaurant. And it's called The Briefing. I think I said that. But anyway, (laughs) thanks so much for chatting to us today, Melissa. Thanks for having me. What a great intro. Can you just follow me around and say that? 100%. Everywhere I go. I'll be your fan. Um, So you created as well as perform this show. So what was the creative process like for The Briefing? Oh, that is ongoing, unfortunately. (laughs) I don't open until the 19th, so I have a little bit of time. So I'm still, you know, very much in the creative process. But it was an idea born out of my habit of talking politics all the time, all day, every day, and my passion for satire, both as a tool for entertainment and as this kind of like naive attempt at social change. But um, that combined with the fact that I do a mean Sarah Huckabee Sanders impression... (laughs) And the show was born. So how long has that process been from, I guess, the idea coming to you and, I guess, putting the things in place to get it to where it is now? Well, I got to Australia, like, my most recent move here, my permanent move here, was in April. So I came in and then jumped straight into Comedy Festival. And then basically as soon as Comedy Festival ends, fringe expressions of interest open. Mm -hmm. So I knew I wanted to do something. I had a couple ideas in the works. And it was just like, oh boy, it's crunch time. So I would say the idea had been marinating for probably about Sarah Huckabee Sanders' whole tenure at the White House, which is about two years. But um, only since coming to Australia was I like, maybe this is, you know, a voice that isn't being heard here as often. And so I'd say, yeah, with the last six months or so. Oh, when you say a voice hasn't been heard uh, here as often, what specifically is the voice that you're talking about? Uh, Sarah Huckabee's, first of <laughs> oh, all, which <laughs> is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> but no, just... Then um, why'd you want to bring her here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, great question. <laughs> Mainly because I think again, perhaps naively, that satire is such an important artwork. It's such an important form of art that we don't really see a lot of, unfortunately. And maybe we see a lot of satire, but we don't see a lot of good satire or satire with teeth, Mm. which for me, so for me, the definition of satire is like to ridicule or mock with an aim at social change or improvement. And you see a lot of that first half right? Like particularly on like SNL or whatever comedy sketch show, but you rarely see the second half. I think it's very often like we get the funny and we stop there. Mm. And for me, it's really Mm. important to move past the funny into like, why are we here to prove how ridiculous this position is or how problematic or dangerous? Yeah. Mm. And obviously this show is really inspired by the political climate, as you've been saying. So Mm -hmm. is that something you've always been passionate about? Like from a young age, is it interested you or was there a certain point that that became really intriguing to you? I think like a lot of young social justice Americans, um, 2008 when Barack Obama was elected the first time was like a really powerful moment. And I had always been interested in politics, but that kind of like triumphant success, which was the first time I was legally allowed to vote in my country. And to go from that high to the incredible low of 2016 is really 
a thing that shapes you as a person and shapes your political ideals and either makes you fall down and say, I give up, it's all over, or makes you determined that everything you do in your life will have a political angle to it. And I'm of the latter. You know, I've always been very political personally, but moving my comedy into a much more political space has been a more recent decision. Have you found in America in particular, people of, I guess, our generation coming to politics, coming to the table as a result of things like SNL? No. (laughs) I wish that were the case. Oh, God, I could get in trouble for saying this, but I'm really not a fan of SNL. I feel like they have this platform where they have been given an incredible opportunity to make a point, and instead they just choose to be like, wouldn't it be funny if Sean Spicer was played by a woman? You know, and, and to me it's like, almost insulting because Mm -hmm. here's this person, Sean Spicer, who is like the Goebbels of the United States, right? (laughs) Like he's like, he's actively working to spread Trump's lies, which hurt people and harm my country and make the world a less stable place. And so to come at it from an angle of like making him cute or personable, you know, now, I don't know if you guys heard this, but now he's going on Dancing with the Stars. Wow. Like, I love Dancing with the Star. Yeah, well, <laughs> I hate Sean Spicer. So. It's just really problematic to me that we've taken mm. these like really dangerous political figures who deserve to be shunned from mm. society, and we've turned them into these kind of pop culture puppets. Mm. And unfortunately, I think SNL has played a big role in that. Mm. Mm. I mean, yeah, obviously Trump has been satirized a lot, but so much of that satire has just been like, he talks funny, he has a funny face, exactly. he has small hands. So it seems to be like that. Uh, easier half, the first half that you're talking about, rather than the more difficult but right. more important second half. Yeah, that is yeah. lazy satire at its finest. Mm-hmm. It's not even really satire. I guess <laughs> you could call it parody, but it's just like pointing out the obvious. And I'm not saying that I'm, I've achieved this 100% with my show, but it's something I'm always thinking about. I'm always trying to find a balance between what is funny and what is entertaining, because that is clearly one of my jobs as a comedian, but also what is effective. You know, like something I talk a lot with my director about is what do we want the audience to feel when they walk away? And for me, I've decided I want them to feel complicit, you know, which sometimes is a hard sell because audiences (laughs) leaving a comedy show often want to leave feeling uplifted or happy or whatever. And to me, it's much more important that we take this opportunity to, yes, be entertained, but also to really like think about what's happening in the world. Mm. Not necessarily hard sell. I mean, the net obviously did really well. So (laughs) it it can be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just interested in, because obviously you've done comedy things in America and also now here in Australia. How do you find the humor differs? Because I'm sure it's very different, like the way audiences receive things, because even Mm -hmm. from like England to Australia, it's different as well. So it's really fascinating. That is a like a journey of discovery I'm still on because I did live here for a year 2016 to 17, but I've only been back here permanently for about six months. So that's something I'm definitely still figuring out and probably will be for the rest of my life if I continue to live here. And there are definitely things that are just like universally funny. I can't think of any at the moment, but <laughs> they exist. But yeah, comedy is like pretty inherently cultural. So Mm. it has been really interesting to see what things hit and what don't. And clearly for me, being very invested in American politics and the little like nuances of that, there's definitely points in my show where I've been told like, oh, Australian audiences just don't know that detail Mm. or they just didn't like follow that event, which like fair enough. Mm. (laughs) 
Hmm. If I had my way, we would all just turn off the news coming from America at all times. But it's been interesting for me trying to zoom out a little and like recontextualize a lot of it because, yeah, for me, it's been more about how can I tie this into what's happening here in Australia or what's happening globally rather Mm -hmm. than like let's zoom in more on America. It's interesting you say that about the Australian audience maybe not having the same knowledge or prior knowledge of the Trump administration or Huckabee Sanders or Mm -hmm. whatever's going on in America. Do you expect to maybe have to fill in those gaps a little bit in your show? I think that I do a little. It's a weird balancing act between, you know, I don't want to make it so general that it's just like a little boring and broad, but I do want it to be accessible to people who aren't political news junkies. And also, like, I don't begrudge anyone's, Australians especially, desire to tune out of American politics because I really relate to that. So I think I will have to provide a little bit of context on really specific things. But overall, you know, there is a pattern politically of a shift towards right-wing extremism across the planet. So what's happening in America is happening here, is happening in India, in Brazil, you know, Mm. all over the globe. So at the end of the day, like, the big issues are things we can all relate to. And part of the performance is an improvised Q&A. So what made you decide that was something you wanted to do? And are there any, like, particular types of questions you're really hoping for? (laughs) Uh, It's funny. People are so kind. They always ask me, what questions do you want? And I'm like, I will just be happy with any questions. (laughs) My biggest fear is that no one will ask them, um, which ironically is Sarah Huckabee Sanders' dream come true. So (laughs) there's a real conflict of interest there. Um, I think any politician's dream come true. Yeah. (laughs) They don't have to waffle. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, the waffling is the fun part. So, Mm. you know, a solid, like... Two-thirds of the show is scripted. It's like stand-up sketch meets character work. But yeah, the last third of it is an improvised Q&A. And it's actually my favorite part as an improviser. That's the part that like really brings me joy. And it's different every night. And it's exciting and scary. You know, as long as I get questions, I'm happy. So there's not really any bad one. But I will say from the couple of test runs I've done, they range from everything from like questions about Arkansas, where Sarah Huckabee Sanders is from, or questions just about, you know, someone asked if Bernie Sanders was related to her. (laughs) (laughs) I get questions about Trump, you know, really anything that you would want to ask is fun times for me. Awesome. And it doesn't scare you at all, like, oh, no, what are they? I mean, I guess you're an improviser, so it doesn't. I I am an improviser, so it doesn't scare me quite as much as excites me. Like, that segment is kind of what inspired the show for me because I do so many different types of comedy, and I wanted to find a way to marry them all together. And a press briefing sounds like a very boring thing, so I also like the challenge of, like, it's a very easy-to-reach baseline. As long as it's more fun than a press briefing, I'm succeeding. Well, thanks so much for chatting to us. It sounds like a great show, and I think, like, I want to go check it out now, so hopefully everyone listening is inspired to as well. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you guys so much. Love to see you there. Come check it out.